Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Daniel 9.1, it says, In the first year, Darius, son of Xerxes, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So we remember from, as we've been going through this, uh, through the story of, of Daniel, this history here, that Daniel was literally taken to Babylon from Jerusalem 70 years ago. And here Daniel is, is he, he does, he, he prays three times a day and he, he gets into the scripture. That's just the habit that he's made. He, he gets into the scripture, he opens up to, to Jeremiah, which was almost a contemporary of his. Jeremiah's, you know, a little older than him, but wrote this when Daniel was, was a young kid. And Daniel recognized it as scripture and read, and he goes, wow, 70 years, that's, that's about right now. Daniel's about 85 years old now. That if God's people get it, that if, if God's people, if they repent, if God's people, if, if they change their life and their attitudes and, and their actions and their decisions, that God will search their heart and see their repentance. And he will allow them to return to Jerusalem. That is what Daniel is reading. And he reads this and he realizes, wow, God's talking to me. God is ready to give his grace. And in verse 3 it goes on and says, So I turned to the Lord, and, and Lord God, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, and fasting, and, and sackcloth, and, uh, sackcloth, and ashes. And, and this represents a mourning or a sadness and, and repentance. And, and uh, you know, the, you know that culture that if you did this, people would understand. They see you wearing sackcloth, they're like, okay, he's, he's in mourning. So, you know, you don't go up to him and just go, hey, how's the weather today? Oh, man, I love the sunshine out there. You know, because this person's in mourning. So you just didn't treat him like that. You, you kind of, you know, it was more of a serious tone. You might have even got in a conversation about what they were mourning about. But you just didn't, it wasn't just a moment of levity. It goes on in verse 4, it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all, the, with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. And as we talked about last week, what we're going to see here from Daniel is he's going to take two very important concepts. One, a very positive concept, and one, a very negative concept. And he's going to weave these two concepts together and braid them together in one prayer. One concept is, is the negative. Man, God, we've, we've really messed up. We, we've blown it. As, as your children, as Israelites, we have just totally messed this. I mean, it's a mess, Lord. There is no blame. We are all complicit in this. And then he, he weaves it together with, God, you are awesome. You are magnificent. You are wonderful. It's, it's something I can't even believe. And it becomes a single prayer of confession and praise. Daniel recognizes that, that throughout their history, they've been, you know, they, they, they've been wicked. And some of their generations have been more wicked than the others. 
Some have been godly, but not so much. But he doesn't grovel before God. He doesn't get over there and, I, I'm, just, I'm just so awful, God. I'm just so, I've messed up again. I'm just so awful. He doesn't do that. He is just making a statement. He's recognizing it here. It says that, that I recognize the depravity of man, and that includes myself here, Lord. Which is ironic, because Daniel is one of the most righteous people in the Bible that we know of. In fact, if you read the book of Daniel and read, read anything else about Daniel, you will not see a negative thing said about him. Yet he's sitting there going, we're wicked, Lord. We've really messed up. And in verse 6 he goes on, he says, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, and all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princesses and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through the, his servants and the prophets. All of Israel transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. And he keeps just repeating it and repeating it. Now, he's not repeating this so God can go, okay, I, 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 you know, I, I needed to hear this again. God knows that they've done this. He's repeating it so he can understand. Wow, we've really, you know, we've really messed up. He's, he put it down because those in the future would be able to read it and say, you know what? Yeah, we've done the same. The only reason why we know this prayer is because Daniel wrote it down. No one else is, is there with him. So the only reason is he wrote it down. And thank God he wrote it down because it teaches us how to repent, how to get right with God. And it's good that he wrote it down. Sometimes, you know, when we pray, we start out, you know, Lord, you're just, you're just totally awesome. Where do I start today? I've had such a busy day today. I mean, it's been so busy. Should I, should I eat lunch now or later? You know, does your mind wonder when you, when you pray at all? Or is it just me? I'm getting no response here. I guess it's just me. Okay, that's good. You drive along in the car. Oh, this is a great day, Lord. The mountains are beautiful. You know, in the five, six days we can actually see them. The mountains are beautiful. This is great spending time with God. And man, who's this idiot driving in front of me? We should get out of my way. Doesn't he know he should go 78 when it's 70? I mean, come on. Driving in the fast lane. I mean, I could just keep going and going. In fact, I, I really want to, but I shouldn't. And this is one reason why I like to pray out loud sometimes. It keeps my mind on task. Because then you start realizing how, you know, how bad you sound when you start thinking about the guy in front of you. Now, I, I could even imagine the angels. Some of the, you know, when they're on break in the, in the break room, some of the conversations they have about us would just be amazing. I'd love to eavesdrop one day. Well, the first 15 verses here, Daniel mixes confession and adoration for God. And Daniel says to God, I get it. We are a sinful people. Daniel lives in Babylon, remember? Where they have TV shows on MTV, like, you know, called Skins. I don't know if you've been hearing the news lately. I mean, it borders on, I mean, just, well, anyway, don't look it up. But believe me, it's bad enough. 
Babylon was exactly like that. Babylon is a mixture of Amsterdam, and I don't know if you've ever heard about Amsterdam. I, I was in Amsterdam once, and we accidentally turned down the wrong road. You're talking about needing blinders, because they were setting in the windows in that red light district. But it's a mixture of, of Amsterdam and Las Vegas and San Francisco and, 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 and you know, Rio and, and, you know, pick any city you would like in there. Add, you know, something like Pixley, you know. He is living in an extremely sinful culture. Compared to most Babylonians, Daniel and his friends are righteous people. I mean, these guys are, these are the clean-cut guys. These are the conservative guys. I mean, these are the ones you look at and go, man, they, they got their life pretty well together. And he's sitting there going, man, we are sinful. He could have easily looked out the window and prayed about sin because he would see it all around him. Now, there are times when we need to point out sin and say, Lord, that's sinful there. And talking about other people. But most of the time, we need to focus our, our, our prayer and, you know, on our own sin instead of the sin of others. I mean, can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. I mean, if you don't like that word, then pick up your, you know, pick up your own word and you know, use the word taco or something. I don't know. Whatever word works for you. I know, you're thinking he's had too much Diet Coke. I know. <laughs> but you have to know that in Daniel's mind... Babylon, you know, Babylon's sin far outweighs the sin of Israel. He could have gone, you know, Lord, look at them. But he didn't do that. They were not in this mess. Israel was not in this mess because of Babylon. That's not why they're in this mess. And to focus on them would, have not, would not have accomplished one thing at all. Daniel understands what Jeremiah says. It says, when my people repent, they will be released from bondage. And right now, Daniel focuses on the us. You know what I mean. Instead of the them. You know, we could spend every weekend for this year and probably years to come focusing on different sins that America has, couldn't we? We could just pick one sin a, a week and that's what we could rail on, that's what we could discuss, we could scream about, we could pray about. We could just focus on America's sins and totally ignore ourselves. But there's a time when the church turns away from the sins of others. And as valid Christian, we say, what are our sins? In my family, what are my family sins? In my life, personally, what are my sins? Now, once we identify some things, what do we usually do? Well, most of the time we start talking to other people, don't we? And it quickly turns to gossip. You know what I mean? We, we identify a, a problem within the church, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about like, okay, let's talk about us right now, but I'm just saying through, throughout my church history, even growing up, you see this in the, in the churches. Somebody identifies a problem, and, and we do one of two things. You gossip about it. You go around and you find a group of people that agree with you, and, and, and during the course of time, they, you know, you've actually created a whole other problem within the church. Because there's a whole bunch of people that hadn't even thought about that, and now they're like all up in arms about it. And then you have a group that says, you know, we all agree with that problem. You know, agree that there is a problem here. And you know what happens next? They call or email the pastor. 
who probably already knows about the issue or the problem. Not always, but sometimes. And then we demand results. I went to a meeting with the pastor and I want these things changed. He is, after all, the leader of the church. Well, I think this is also a problem. Now, there's nothing wrong with email and, and, and talking with the pastor and, and trying to work things out and dealing with stuff. You know, that's good. Maybe he doesn't know the problem or, you know, or he thinks, finally, somebody else noticed that. But the problem is that we go, I've done my part. I gossip to a bunch of people. I got a whole bunch of people that agree with me. I complain to the pastor. Now I get to go to my real job. Then, if that person doesn't get the results that they want, what do they do? They quit the church. And then they go to another church, and they take that same problem, the same issue, with them to that next church. How do I know this? Because I'm human. We all do this. We all do this. Folks, we have got to get to a place of maturity. When we identify a problem, first we don't gossip about it. But if, if God has told you about a problem, maybe he's asking you to put on sackcloth. Maybe he's asking you, like Daniel saying, hey, this, this isn't my personal sin, but this is our sin, so let us repent. Let me repent for that. Maybe he's asking you to do some fasting and praying before you would say anything. Now, I'm not saying we don't need to talk about issues. I mean, have you ever seen a dysfunctional family? Dysfunctional family is one that doesn't deal with issues, doesn't talk. And in fact, I got a call from somebody, and it, it reminded me of a dysfunctional family and some of the issues. In fact, two different families, and they're not around here. One lives across the country and stuff. And, and I'm sitting there going, man, if you would just sit down and talk to your wife about this issue, you could, you could solve it. But they just keep dancing around the issue, and he pits her against, you know, it just goes back and forth. And you're just like, it's a mess. Come on. But too often we say, here's the problem, Pastor, now you go and fix it. First of all, we need to ask God, hey, is this, is this a preference of mine? Or is this something that needs to be dealt with? But instead, so often we just jump into the middle without asking God, what should I do? Should I get involved with this? Are you asking me to help out with this? Now see, one thing that, that Daniel has done for me is, is I've studied about Daniel and, and gone through it and saw that how many times a day he prayed. He prayed three times a day. I'm starting to do this uh, uh, more often. And with the new little one around the house, I'm not sitting there for an hour you know, in prayer every morning, noon, and, and night. Believe me. I'm trying to catch my little times when I can and I'm going to him more. It's important for us to pray and to focus ourselves during our prayer. And then we ask God, what direction do you want me to go? It starts to focus our lives. It starts to help us focus on our lives and not on the lives of others. In Second Chronicles, 714 it says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will hear, heal their land now let's kind of pick this apart here's an Old Testament scripture that can relate to us if my people are, are humble or are, who are called by, by my name that, that's us that's you and I will what? well first of all humble ourselves secondly pray thirdly to seek and fourthly to turn to to go 
what I'm doing is not good. This, the direction I'm going is not good. That means, you know, we, we love the word re- repent. That means to turn around, to go away from. This is an amazing promise to Israel and also, also to us. What is our land? Well, in the broad concept, our land is America. But in a smaller concept, it's where we live, it's where we work, it's where we play. You know, these guys were agricultural people. Their land was right around their house. They're sitting there going, God's going to heal my land. That means I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get more production out of this. I'm going to grow more corn. I'm going to grow more grain. I'm, I'm going to be able to, to provide for my family even better. That's what their mindset was. Their land was their tribe because they all lived together as a tribe. And then broader sense, Israel. Well, for us, it's ourselves and our family. Maybe, maybe our small group, our church, or our town, and even maybe even you know the, the, the valley here. Okay, well, verse 16, it goes on, it says, O Lord, in keeping with all your, your righteous acts. Well, wait a second, he, he's starting being a little more specific now. A little more specific in his, his request here. Not according to my righteousness or the, or, or the righteousness of the little group that I agree with or agrees with me, but it's according to your righteousness. I'm not asking on any other basis except your righteousness here, Lord. Turn away from, from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city and your holy hill. Our sins and, all, and the iniquities of the Father have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Um, God, if you haven't noticed, the neighbors don't really respect us anymore. That's what he's saying here. Because of our you know, hypocrisy. It is our fault. But according to your righteousness, Lord... Help us not to be a reproach to your name anymore. Verse 17, it says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Now, for the Old Testament people, they are literally talking about a building, a sanctuary. The New Testament Christian, what are we talking about? Are we talking about this building, this four and a half acres here? No. No, bless this temple. Bless us, Lord. We are individual temples, uh, you know, for God. And our corporate worship, our relationships. He's asking God to bless the desolate sanctuary. We're asking you, God, to bless us again. Bless our temple once again. Even though we've defiled the temple. Maybe it's with alcohol. You know, we always rag on that, but you could add any other sin in there. You could add gossip, you could add lying, you could add anything into that. Even though we defiled your temple with our, our evil thoughts, or maybe your drugs, or, or maybe too much sugar, or too much caffeine, or maybe we're not exercising with our temple, or anything that defiles our body. God, I know we have profaned your temple, but I'm asking you to bless it again. I'm six months clean and sober, and, 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 you know, and the shame wagon keeps showing up every single week, Lord. I keep bearing that shame, and, and, you know, and the guilt trip truck shows up and just dumps its load right in my driveway, and I have to deal with it over and over. But I've been reading your word, Lord, and, and it actually says that you can use me again, even though I have no right for you to, to ask you to use me again. 
You can use me. You can clean this temple. And you're not saying, well, you really messed up and you're going to pay for it. God does not treat us like that. That's other religions. That's even some other religions that call themselves Christians. This whole concept of, of you know, you've you got to appease your God because He's going to come down hard on you. That's not the God that I serve. That's not the God that I know. Now, sometimes He disciplines me. But it's not like I have to appease Him to keep His wrath at bay. Now, we should repent and confess of our sins. And only the Lord really knows whether it's true confession or not, if it's real or not. not. So don't add up your tears because that's an external thing. It's the internal that counts. But He cleans us up. And then He starts to use us again. It's an amazing thing that our God does with us. And I don't understand why you know, He does it because we are nothing like that. You mess up with me enough times, I'm like, you're out, goodbye, done. But, you know, don't let the whole door hit you. That's just my flesh. It's a defense mechanism that we all have. Now, before Brandon was born, I was trying to get all the projects done around my house. And as I went from one project, you know, I had certain tools for that project. And I would be in the middle of that project, I would finish it, and I'd be so tired, I'd just pile all those tools in one box. And then I'd go on to the next project. And I start working on that project, and I have all the specific tools for that project. And I get done with that project, I just pile all those tools in a different box. Well, I finally decided I need to clean out the garage, and that way I can put the cars back in the garage and stuff. And so I pile all the boxes in the shed. Now I go looking for a tool that I need. The problem is, they're all piled up in the shed. And I know I have two of these specific tools that I, they, you know, I, literally I, I went to go look for a specific tool. And I know I have at least two of them, if not three, but at least two of them. But I just can't find them, so what do I do? I go to the store. I, I, I weigh the options. Two and a half, three days cleaning out the shed to find what I need. 30 minutes down at the store, a little money. Now I'm coming home and I'm pretty happy about my new tool. And the Lord says to me, I'm nothing like you, Alan. Well, thanks, Lord. I appreciate that. And he says to me, I would have never gone and done what you did. And then he talked to me about me. He said, son, how many times have I come looking for you? And I wanted to use you. And you were so rusted and hidden away in a box in the shed and really unusable. It would have been easier to go out and find a younger model that's much more willing. It's all greased up, ready to go. Someone a lot more spiritual than you, Alan. But I am not like you. I love you so much that I go out and I search for you. I clean you up and I use you again. I just found you in one of those boxes. And it took a week to clean you up. I wanted to use you a week ago, but I couldn't because I had to, I had to you know, get out there and get the, uh, you know, the scouring pad and clean you, get the rust off you and grease you back up. But I'm nothing like you. I want you to know, son, I would never throw you away in the trash and go to the store and get another one. And I'm like, Really? Even if I stay out in the rain and get all rusted up, and he says, 
really. But if you choose to stay out there and get rusted up, you will hate it. You will be miserable. Because it's a really disgusting process to go through to get that way. And if that is what you choose, I want you to know, I will never throw you away. I will not discard you because I love you. I love you. And I love you so much, I'm willing to stop. Willing to stop what I'm doing. I'm willing to start to clean you up again for the thousandth time, or maybe the fifth time, or maybe the 500th uh, time, because I prefer that over throwing you away. He basically says, you know what I did? I threw my son away so I wouldn't have to throw you away. So I'd never have to do that to you again. I went through that just so you could be cleaned up and used again. And you know what? I'm driving home and I don't want this brand new tool anymore. I almost went, you know, out to the shed and looked through all the boxes to find the old one, but I'm just not that spiritual and time-wise I... Okay, well, let's move on to verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God from his, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Wow. I mean, how about that? Here you've been praying three times a day all your life, and now you're 85 years old, and, and you think God has nothing new for you, but God never stops surprising us. You know, you're, you're 85 years old, you, you think you got it down. You know, you could teach courses on prayer. You've written books about prayer. I mean, you've been on the 700 Club talking about prayer. And now Gabriel appears to you. Verse 22, it says, He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Wow. Here an angel is telling you, you are highly esteemed in heaven. Now, that, that to me is amazing. That a human can be held to high esteem in heaven from the angels. Now, this thing about the evening offering in verse 21, what is that all, you know, what is that all about? Daniel is saying Gabriel reached him about the time of the evening offering. Now, for those that have studied about the temple and all that, you would understand that the evening offering is about 3 p.m. in the afternoon uh, at the temple. But where's the temple? Well, it was in Jerusalem, but it's been destroyed. There is no temple at this point. What's fascinating is Daniel's not been in Israel for 70 years. Yet his internal clock still knows Israel, still knows the temple. What does that tell you about this man? Well, he's 85 years old and he never became a Babylonian. He never immersed himself in, into that culture that was so wicked that went against God. He's 85 years old and he now refers to time. No matter where he was in the world, 
No matter how far he wa- you know, away he was, no matter how many years it's been, it doesn't matter because he is sold out for God. Whether New York or Rio or the Bay Area, it doesn't matter where he is because his God is there and he sent Gabriel to talk to him. In a small way, I relate to this. And, uh, you know, not that I'm like Daniel, okay? But wherever I am, I have a feeling about what day it is. No matter where I am on, on, you know, when Saturday hits, my mind is already thinking about Sunday. It doesn't matter if I'm on vacation in Hawaii or, or in Israel, you know, leading a, a trip to Israel. Or, it doesn't matter where I am. I start thinking about Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, my spirit knows when it's about time. Now, I may, I may be thinking, well, I'm sure I'm enjoying these fish in Hawaii and they're in Tulare, but... I know. In a small way, I relate to this. But there's another thing here. For Daniel being a Jew, Jerusalem is the center of the world. Now, for a believer in Christ, where's our center? Where's our our Mecca, to put it in today's vernacular? Jesus tells us that we are citizens of another kingdom. And he is the king of that kingdom. And this world is, is not for me. This world is not my home. And as we get older and, and closer to, to being with Him, we embrace the beginning of, of being with Him. I think that maybe the, the more time we start to spend with God, He can align us with the rhythms of His kingdom, the rhythms of heaven, that sense of being drawn there. Like Daniel being emotionally drawn to Jerusalem and the temple that's no, no longer even there. When he prayed, he turned himself toward Jerusalem because he was drawn toward there. So in a New Testament, New Covenant kind of way, we can be drawn toward the capital city of our our citizenship, to our King of Kings, to our Lord of Lords, to our future and and final place where we will be. We are already citizens of that kingdom. It's like being in another country on the 4th of July. I can remember as a, as a young man going on a mission trip down in San Luis Potosi and over the July 4th being, you know, 200 miles from Mexico City, way down in the heart of, of Mexico, and going, man, this is so weird to, to not be in America on the 4th of July. And the Lord just says, Alan, I would love to, to just draw you towards where you are headed. Draw you towards the, the citizenship of your country. So that several times a day, you would turn your face in that direction, and that's toward Christ. Verse 22, it says, He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you uh, to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in the everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And he goes on in there and talks really about the Messiah that will come in the end of, the, end of days that are near. And he kind of goes into the, the tribulation and all that, what we call the tribulation. We'll talk about that next week. But before we leave, I want to ask you this week, I want to influence you this week to get your eyes off of everybody else's sin and what's going on all around you 
Get your eyes off your spouse's sin. Get your eyes off your, your other family member's sin. Get your eyes off your boss's sin or your neighbor's sin and, you know, or your friend's sin. And I want you to, to take it inward. I want you to start thinking about yourself. And I want to ask you three times a day, 21 times between now and next Sunday, I want to ask you to, to do your best to, in a sense, spend time in your sackcloth, in your mourning, of your own personal, of your own personal sin, soul search for one week where God can calibrate you. Some of you will find that, man, one week's not enough. God keeps revealing different things that he wants me to deal with. Man, it's so aggravating when God does that. I mean, I just told you about that one sin. Can we just leave it there for today? And he's like, no, no, no. We've got a whole bunch more to go, Alan. The Lord will tell you when you're done. But let's humble ourselves before God. Now, I don't know what's better. That you feel like a shiny new tool or a very rusty tool. Because, I mean, they both have their challenges. I mean, the new, new tool, the, the challenge is to stay with God and, and, and not get rusty, not get all marred up, to be used. The challenge of the rusty tool is, how do I get cleaned up? Well, I don't do anything myself. Only God can clean me to be used again. But I know this, I've been both. And both require the hand of God using the tool. And God will only use a humble, broken, repentant tools. Humble yourself before God. And He will lift you up. And don't believe the devil who tells you that you've done so many bad things in your life. There's no way you will ever be used again. That's what the devil's for. He is called the accuser. That's what his job is. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to convince you of. That you can never be used again. But on the other hand, if you don't repent, and you won't turn from your wicked ways, the devil is right about you. If we don't repent, we don't go to God and say, I'm sorry for my sin, God will not use us. We have to be humble. We have to ask God's forgiveness. He refuses to bless wickedness. But he rejoices. Man, does he rejoice when the wicked, you and I, turn to him and say, I've been wicked. Take this out of my life. I've been wicked. I, 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 forgive me for this. Take this evilness out of me. And then he starts getting the scouring pads out. And he starts cleaning up the rust. He gets the oil out. And he starts oiling us up. And he already has a plan of where he wants to use us. Do you want to be used by God? Humble yourself. Humble yourself before him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we recognize our individual sins. I pray that you, we allow the Holy Spirit to, to point out things in our life this week that that we really shouldn't be doing or that we've done in the past that we need to ask for forgiveness about. But Lord, I, I know that in the middle of all this, when we start feeling really bad, that we can look towards you and know that you are willing to use us. All you want us to do is admit what we've done. All you want us to do is recognize that, that we are sinful people, to get off our high horse, for us to, to stop thinking we're better than other people. 
Lord, we're willing to be used. And I pray that we get to a point in our life where we turn around and say, clean me up, Lord, so you can use me. You're gracious, you're mighty, Lord. You're unbelievable, wonderful. Your hands stretched across the skies and created everything. And I am not worthy to come before you, Lord. And the only reason why you accept me is because your son died for my sins, and I thank you for that. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he block the accuser. May he block the devil from keeping you from coming to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.